1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in the world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, 
I love God, yet hates his brother. He is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of God. A helicopter takes off from a skyscraper, but it's snagged on a cable. It crashes and is left hanging precariously over the side of a building. The door on Lois's side swings open and she stares horrified at the crowd some 50 stories below. The helicopter slides further over the edge and Lois falls out. She catches one of the chopper's rails and is left hanging in space. But you know she can't die. She can't be paid all that money just to fall out of a helicopter after five minutes, can she? But fall she does! And as she plummets down the side of the building, a red blur streaks upwards from the streets just in time after a hasty change in a telephone box. Superman catches her and they glide gently upwards. It's okay, miss, says Superman. I've got you. To which Lois, clearly terrified, replies, You've got me, so who's got you? It's possible to be secure and yet feel insecure. And assurance is one of John's big themes. A key verse, chapter 5, verse 13, 1 John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you might know you have eternal life. He says something similar at the end of his gospel. I write these signs that you might believe, and in believing that Jesus is the Son of God, you might have life. Now the churches, the Christians in these churches who John was writing to, they believed in Jesus, but their faith was under attack from false teaching. And that was shaking their faith undermining their their certainty of salvation through Jesus. The false teaching included moral indifference. It doesn't matter how you um, behave. Sin is not actually that serious, they were saying. The false teachers were unloving to those in need, and their teaching included defective views about Jesus. In their view, he was either not fully human, or he was not fully God. In either case, it undermined his saving power. And when you've got people telling you week in, week out, to play with sin, to be selfish towards others, to soften on the exclusive claims of Jesus, there's no wonder these Christians were losing their assurance of salvation. And those pressures, they're still around us today. We know what we believe or are meant to believe, and yet there are so many pressures to, on us to ignore that call to battle with sin, to live for yourself and not to love others, to soft pedal on the person of Christ. So some might know in their heads what we are, uh, that we are meant to be secure in Christ, but some have that nagging doubt in the back of their mind. Maybe I'm not really a Christian. Like Lois in, in Superman's hands, we can see the theory God will never let us go, but sometimes we just don't feel it. There's just so much pressure on us, and we feel we're going to fall. And this is what John is writing about. He wants us to be confident in our salvation. Not presumptuous, but trusting in Jesus, who's promised salvation. So two challenges to help us stand firm, and to be confident that we are children of God. And it's all about how we respond to what God has done for us. 
So first of all, we will walk in the truth, and, and those who are our teachers will walk in the truth, verses 1 through to 6. So at the end of last week's passage, I think you must have done it in chapter 3, we saw that the sign of a genuine Christian is that the Spirit of God is at work in their lives. But John immediately says, chapter 4, verse 1, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. In other words, don't be gullible. Why? Because many false prophets have gone into the world. And so there are plenty of people, even bishops and other clergy, they claim to speak for God, but actually they don't. They seem to wear the spiritual clothes of Christianity. They talk the talk, maybe even walk the walk to a certain extent. But don't be fooled, says John. Not everyone is who they say they are. So how can we tell who is genuine? Well, John says two things. First, look at what you and look at what they say, verses 2 to 3. It depends on on what we make of Jesus. If you acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So the first step to becoming a Christian is to bow the knee before Jesus Christ and to confess him as Lord and as Saviour. And this is what these false teachers denied. They said either Jesus was just an inspired man, not fully God, not fully human either. Some taught he was just a special man with a divine spark in him. But the true Christian confesses Jesus to be fully God and fully man. Anything less is the work of the Antichrist opposed to Jesus. Do you acknowledge Jesus as your King, as your Lord, as your Saviour? Then the Spirit of God is at work in you. Look at what you say if you want to be sure. Now, this issue of proclaiming and defending the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ is just as important today as it was in John's day. We are under pressure to soften the claims of Christ, to make him out to be one way of many ways to get to God. So maybe you've heard people say that um, all religions are just different ways to the same God. It was said on radio this morning. Well, we need to ask ourselves if we've got the courage to stand for Jesus as the way. The truth, the life, for salvation is found in no one else apart from Jesus Christ. There is no other name, no other way in which we must be saved. Look at what you say. But also look at how you live. Because walking in the truth is not just about speaking and believing the truth, it means doing the truth. And these Christians in in 1 John, they've done that. They've overcome the false teachers by not believing their message. And they've done it with God's help. But notice what John says next, verse 5. The false teachers are from the world. They are marked by that evil, rebellious nature which opposes God. And the world listens to them. Those who oppose Christ, well, they will listen to the false teachers who also oppose Christ. Their standards, their lifestyles, their teaching, it's thoroughly worldly. So at this point, we need to ask ourselves if our lives are marked by the truth we profess to follow. Or are they marked by the world which we profess to have overcome? Will we renounce the sinful world in which we live and instead seek first God's kingdom, his standards? Because those who know God listen to his voice, and live according to the truth. So if you want to be sure you are a Christian, resolve to walk in the truth. Take a good look at what you say and how you live. 
But secondly, resolve to walk in love, verses 7 through to 21. And love is the main theme of these verses. And we see the source of love. Where does it come from? Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. In fact, he goes further. He states that God is love. Now, what does this mean? The man who started KFC, he was a man called called, um, Colonel Saunders. He wasn't really a colonel, by the way. He was the man who invented those um, spices, combinations, which go together to make the the chicken finger licking good. And when he started KFC in America, you could have said without anyone misunderstanding you, Colonel Saunders is KFC. There is no KFC apart from Colonel Saunders. God is love. And what John means is that there is no true love apart from God. If you want to see what love is, then you must look at God because God is love. But John is not saying love is God. That would be like saying wherever there's a lump of chicken, that's Colonel Saunders. So not all loves are godly or morally right. And we need to get this, because we often hear people say, isn't God a God of love? And then they use that to justify certain lifestyles. John is making a statement about God. God's very being and nature is to love. All God's interactions and actions and and words will be marked by love. And that should give us great confidence when he says and he does something, or says something, which we might not agree with or which we might find hard to swallow, because we know they are marked by love, for God is love. So his moral demands on us, his judgments, they are all aspects of his love. And where do we see that love most displayed? Well, it's in the cross. And that brings us to the demonstration of love. Verses 9 to 10. God showed his love amongst us by sending his one and only son to die for us. And what was staggering about that is that we did absolutely nothing to deserve it. It's not that we loved God, says John. Jesus Christ died for his enemies, people like you and me. And even more staggering was that his death was performed by God's one and only son. It's not like God has an heir and a spare. This is God's only son. Such was God's love for us. God so loved the world. And the world for John stands for a world opposed to God. While we were still enemies, he died for us. And this great demonstration of love, it was primarily a rescue mission. John says the result of Jesus' death was that we might live through him. Jesus died in my place, in your place, bearing the penalty for our rebellion so that we might be forgiven. So if you've ever doubted God's love for you personally, look at the cross. If you're ever tempted to think that you're a nobody, worthless and unloved, look at the cross. Do you ever think that you've done something so awful you could never be forgiven or loved by God again? Look at the cross. The cross pays for all our sin if we accept that rescue for ourselves. That's how God showed his love amongst us. But John doesn't let it rest there. Because the demonstration of love leads to the challenge of love. And the whole point of what John is saying in this part of his his letter is he wants us to walk in love because God our Heavenly Father is love. 
If God is love, if he's demonstrated that love to that such an incredible degree on the cross, then we who claim to follow and know this God must be people of love too. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And again, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John Stott, commenting on this passage, says, No one who has been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable love and unmerited love can go back to a life of selfishness. So the point is, we who claim to know God must display that family likeness. We cannot claim to have the work of the Spirit amongst us if we do not love one another. And in verse 12, John takes that challenge a step further. Where else will the non-Christians see God except in the loving Christian community? You cannot see God, but you can see his character in Christians. Or at least you should be able to. And his character of love, says John, is to be seen amongst us. So of the early church, it was said, see how they love one another. And people should be saying that about us. The church should be a shop window into God's character. And in this way, God's love is made complete. So what does it mean in practice? Well, love in the Bible is far more than feelings. It always leads to action. And it's about commitment to each other. So I'm sure I do many things to upset Pavy and she might not feel loving to me sometimes and she does the same and I don't feel loving towards her sometimes. And yet, we made a vow to love no matter what, basically. And when I don't feel loving, I have to remind myself that I am commanded to love. That's what the Bible does. It commands us to love. So love is about a commitment. And it will be seen in how we respond when we disagree. It will be seen in how we treat each other. It will be seen in our attitude to the outside world. Do we truly love our family, our friends, our neighbours, even our enemies? Do we want to see them saved? So when was the last time you told someone about Jesus? Perfect love casts out all fear. And true Christian love is marked by the same characteristics of God's love. It's committed, it's sacrificial, and it's costly. So true Christian love will try to understand the other and respond accordingly. And so often, particularly in churches, our arguments, we are not listening to each other. So we're not understanding. And we're becoming like politicians, giving the same old answer over and over again without hearing the question. We talk about God incarnate, don't we? He walked in our shoes. He understood our temptations, yet without sin. He knows what it's like to live my life, to live your life, to live everybody's life, yet without sin. Now, as an army padre, um, we chaplains talk about incarnational ministry, living the life with our soldiers. So we go wherever they go, exercise, operations, we're there with them incarnational ministry and then you look at our fitness test I'm embarrassed by it 
So the infantry, they will carry 40 kilos for four kilometers, and then they drop down to 20 kilos and have to run two kilometers in under 15 minutes. It drops down a little bit, so you get to the clerks. They carry 20 kilos for four kilometers, and then they keep carrying 20 kilos for another two kilometers in under 16 minutes. The chaplains, our fitness test. I can't be bothered getting out of bed for it. 20 kilos for two kilometers. Then we drop down to five kilos for one kilometer best effort in under eight minutes. That's not incarnational ministry. I refuse to do it. I do the same test as my soldiers. So the last one I did a couple of weeks ago was with the um, Royal Logistics Corps, 35 kilos. And you pass. Just doing it. Keeping up with them on the runs. It opens up all sorts of conversations. And it buys me the right to talk to them about God. It gives me the right to be able to pastor them because I've lived their life. I understand that from the inside. And it can be costly. I know how costly it is. My knees hurt at times. My back aches at times. There is a cost to Christian love. And it might mean biting our tongues to listen to the other. Let's hear where they're coming from. And then we can answer them rather than talking across purposes. If we selfishly ignore their needs, if we're not committed to our fellow brothers and sisters, then John fires that real warning shot across our bows. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let me bring it down right to the very nitty-gritty. You see, my argument is with the bishops, with the other clergy, the false teachers. That's who I'm going to argue with. The people whose faith has been shaken. The people whose faith is perhaps being tested. My argument's not with them. My argument, my, my thing for them, is to get alongside them, to understand them. Why has their faith been shaken by this? And then I can answer their questions, I can draw them out, and I can draw them back. But if we're just arguing, we end up pushing them. And where are they going to go? They will go into the hands of where they are feeling loved. Right to the very false teachers I don't want them to go to. If I want to win people, I get alongside them and I win with them. We've got to live that life. And that leads to finally seeing the confidence of love. For walking in love gives us absolute confidence on the day of judgment. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in him. And in that way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. Amen.